0: Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. How you doing? got to slap somebody a high five. Wish somebody a good morning. It is great to be here this day. All right. For those of you that don't know me, I'm Pastor Jose. I'm the lead pastor here, and we welcome you. Hey, give it up for yourselves. You look great this morning. All right. So today is a special day. It's Super Bowl Sunday. What are you talking about, Pastor Jose? Football just started. Thank God we've got another 15 weeks of football to go. I do enjoy football, I I must admit. But, uh, you know, today's a great day because, listen, ladies and gentlemen, I just want to be clear. Any day that we can hear the truth about God and his heart, his love towards us, and when I say us, I'm not just talking about us are for and no more within these walls. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, God loves the entire world. That's right. The entire That's world. Right. No matter what you look like, no matter where you come from, no matter what you've been through, no matter what you're going through, no matter what people have told you, even church people, God loves you. Can you say that? Tell somebody, God loves you. God loves now do me a favor, tell somebody else, God loves me. God loves me. You should really brag about God loves you. And so, hey, uh, we've been on a series the last couple of weeks entitled I Am One, and the whole premise behind this series is about God's ingenious design to bring a people together and not look at them as individually, but as one people, one people. I think that one of the issues that we have today in this day and age is that the body of Christ, the church, the people of God are more divided than we are united. And so today I want to share with you some, some, some thoughts from the Word of God, and I want to encourage you to open your heart and open your mind and simply be open to what God says. Because I'm not giving you my opinion here. I'm giving you what the Word of God says. So as we get started here t- today, can I ask you a question? How many of you have a favorite pastime? What are you talking about, pastors? You know, one of those things that when you grew up, is like, it kind of defined you growing up. It could have been riding bikes. Anybody remember riding bikes? Scrape your knee, get back up, jump on the bike, right? Right, boy, get your butt up here! It's time for dinner, right? And you just, I'm coming, Ma! You know, you're one of those, or waking up in the morning and eating cereal while you're watching cartoons, right? Uh, or whatever. Uh, for me, one of my uh, one of the things that I think about when it comes to those pastimes that makes them so special is that think about it, they were simple times. Life was so easy, it was so simple. It wasn't complicated, right? And one of my favorite pastimes is this. Now, this came before I hit the scene. Somebody stole my cookies. I'm taking somebody's cookies. Thank you, sir. (laughs) Stole my cookies. No, I'm kidding. It wasn't Joey, but I'm borrowing yours, Joey. I'm going to take one. But listen, when they decided to come up with two cookies, black cookies, with white sugar in the middle. And they called it Oreo, O-R-E-O, I know some of you remember that, right? Oreo cookies. Listen, this is ingenious. Let me tell you why. Because it's so simple, and yet it's so good. Two cookies. And if you really wanna make it real good, then you don't just take it off. You, Wait, 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 wait. You got to add the milk. But I want you to think about the simplicity of that invention. There's a whole, as a matter of fact, if you really want to be doubly blessed, then you go get yourself some double stuff. Oreo. Oh, you know what I'm talking about. I'm in the right church today. You know what I'm talking about. But listen, it changed my life growing up because it was so good. It's still changing my life, can you tell? (laughs) It's so good. You know, as I was saying over the last couple of weeks, we've been on this series entitled I Am One. And more than just the fact that God desires that we be a people as one. At the heart of it, God wants his people to be in relationship with him. It's really not that complicated, ladies and gentlemen. And yet, if we can be honest, maybe you've suffered at the hands of some really complicated church semantics. You've gone through all these spiritual hula hoops. Maybe you don't have a relationship with God at all. Maybe... It's something foreign. Maybe it's one of those things that you don't really think about. Doesn't play much of a big part in your life. Or maybe we simply just neglect what we know to be the truth. Whatever it is, ladies and gentlemen, God's desire is that we would have a personal, intimate relationship with him. And that's not just, listen, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, yes, you get excited, praise God. But that's for everyone. There's no racial barrier, there's no gender barrier, there's no socioeconomic barrier. There is nothing, nothing, nothing the Bible says that can separate us from the love of God. God loves all mankind. And yet, it's complicated for so many people. Listen, I was one of those that I grew up in a very complicated upbringing in church. Because I was told God loves you, but I was told I was going to hell for everything. I was going to hell for going to the movies on Fridays. I was going to hell for hanging out with a group of people after 10 o'clock at night eating McDonald's on 181st and Broadway in Uptown Manhattan. I was going to hell because I went to a club. And so at some point, I grew to an understanding, my twisted understanding, because it wasn't truth. I said, well, if I'm going to burn and go to hell, I might as well just burn on my way there. And I lived in error for many years. But it was because a relationship with God was complicated. It was like a love-hate relationship. God, I love you, but somehow I feel like I can't measure up to you. Like I'm not good enough for you. And I don't know if you've been there. Maybe you, you're not a follower of Christ. Maybe you don't know. what. It, maybe you don't have a personal relationship with God. There's no judgment here in what I'm saying. But have you ever stopped to consider that God really loves you? And God wants a personal relationship with you. Personal. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 says this. It says, the human body has many parts. But the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. I remember growing up, I grew up in one of those... um, I'm not going to call it a church because the church is a people. The church is not a building. The church is not where you go. The church is not something you do. The Bible says that the body of Christ, that we are the church. And so if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and guess what? When you go home, the church is there. When you go into your household and there's tension... And there's drama. The church is there. The answer's there. When you go into your community, into your workplace, when you're on the train, when when somebody's in your face, when people are hurting and they're all around you, the church is there. Because if you're a follower of Christ, then he's there. The church is present. That's how close God is. And so what I love about 1 Corinthians 12, 12, it says that the body has many parts. See, God's not interested in one type of people, one uh, uh, type of experience of people. I grew up in one of those churches where we all dressed the same. We all talked the same. We had our own language. It was called Christianese. Well, praise the Lord, brother. How are you? Well, I'm blessed and highly favored. Hallelujah. Right? And that's how we spoke. Like we were so chipper all the time. Right? Like there was never a chink. And listen, while yes, we're blessed and yes, we're prospered and yes, we're highly favored by God, we have to be real with one another and understand that we all come from diverse backgrounds, diverse experiences, yeah. diverse understandings. But we have the Bible says that we have one faith, yeah. one Lord, right. one baptism, one in Christ, in Christ. And so listen, what I want you to begin to wrap your head around is this, that God is interested in a body that has many parts because every part has a distinct function i might be a pinky you might be a nail you might be a hair follicle you might be an eye you might be an ear but all together we make one beautiful picture which is the body of christ and if you don't know christ is your lord and savior today then here's what i want you to think about have you ever thought about the fact that god has a place for you in relationship with him and with others You know, life on our own is mighty lonely. I can remember what it was to live life and trying to just find my way. And it wasn't good. We learned over the last couple of weeks that when it comes to the body of Christ, when it comes to relationship with God, that God doesn't look at his people as one plus one plus one plus one plus one plus one, one. And you're one and you're one and you're one. And that's 50 of us, 60 of us, 80 of us. God looks at it like this. And to the world... To people who don't know God, that it might seem like God's math is off. It might look like, well, 1 plus 1 plus 1 plus 1 plus 1 equals 10. When in reality, to God, 1 plus 1 plus 1 plus 1 plus 1 equals only 1. Amen. Only 1. Only 1. He loves us that much. He desires a personal relationship with us to that extent. 1 Corinthians 12, 14 through 21 says this. Yes, the body has many different parts. Say that with me, many different parts. Many different parts. Look around this room, there's many different parts here today. And each part belongs, Was what I want you to see. It says, yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I am not a part of the body because I am not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I am not a part of the body because I am not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if your whole body uh, were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. Can I just say this to you? And listen, there's no manipulation in this and what I'm saying. I'm not trying to recruit you or anything. I want you to hear the heart of God. God has a place for each and every one of us in his body. Each and every one of us. Every last one of you and I, all of us together, God has a specific purpose, specific plan, specific function. You are that special, you are that unique, you are that important to God. Yes, he's the head, but a head is nothing without its body. And God desires that each and every one of us be a part of his body, united to him in relationship. And so the Bible says this, yes, there are many parts, but only one body. Verse 21 says, the eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. Look at somebody and tell them, I need you. Go ahead and tell somebody else, I need you. Now, say this with me nice and loud. We need each other. We need each other. Yes, we do. See, God's design is this that we all find our place in relationship to Him as we belong with one another. We need each other. We need each other. We need each other. I can remember a time not too long ago, maybe 30 years ago or so, 35, 40 years ago, where when things were looking so good, one of the first places that people looked to was, where's the church? Where's the church? And you know, that question still lingers today, but the answer is less and less resonant. God desires... See, the solution that God has in every regard... Listen, I don't... It could be addiction. It could be crime. It could be poverty. It could be um, uh, domestic violence. No matter what... Whatever the issues are. Broken relationships. Troubles between parents and children. All that is found, the answer to that is found within the body. We are here, listen, we don't come to church for us. The church isn't here for us. The church is here for the world. And each and every one of us brings something unique and different, special, that is meant to be a part of the solution that God is looking to implement in this world to reveal through you through me, through us, one body. See, we were created to be united to God and His body. And if you're taking notes today or if you want to just wrap your head around one main point today, one main point, everything else will revolve around this point. I pray that you wrap your head and your heart around this, that it's as simple as black and white. God loves you. It's as simple as black and white, an Oreo cookie. God loves you. It's as simple as that. God loves the entire world. I know that we look and we see faults in people. We see faults in our community. We we see faults in our neighborhoods. We see faults in our homes. But at the end of the day, have you ever stopped to consider God loves everyone? Every single one. The murderer, the rapist, the drug dealer, the businessman, the the, the wife beater, the husband, the wife, the child, the teenager, the confused person, the hurting person. God loves everyone. Every single one. He makes no distinctions. And it's really as simple as an ingenious invention called an Oreo cookie. It's that simple. It's black and white. It's not complicated, ladies and gentlemen. It's not that complicated. It really isn't. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. To some of you, it might sound like a familiar portion of scripture. I pray that you hear this with a new set of ears and that we encourage each other and that we draw on the truth of God's word today because Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 tells us about how uncomplicated relationship is with God. It says, God saved you by his grace. In other words, God saved you because he loves you, because he favors you, because he's for you, because he's not against you. Hey, newsflash, I used to believe this lie, God's the hammer and I'm the nail. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Yes, it is. God ain't judging you, God's not condemning you, God's not putting you down based upon your choices, based upon what you look like, based upon where you go, based upon where you've been. God loves you. You know why? Because God is love. Yes. That's what the word says. So God saved you by his grace. When you believed, and watch this, you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. See, relationship with God is not about religion. Relationship with God is not about spiritual antics that we go through. Relationship with God is not about your behavior. Relationship with God is not about how you act or how you or who you surround yourself with. Relationship with God is based upon his gift. Yes. Notice what the Bible says that God saved you by his grace. Yes. Everything that we could ever receive from God, including a relationship with God, comes by grace. His grace, His favor. As a matter of fact, that word there simply means unmerited favor, if we could just put it simply. It means favor without conditions. It's not like some of us grew up that, you know, you you go to work one day and it's Christmas time and somebody brings you a gift and you weren't expecting it. And you go, oh my God, thank you so much. I bought you a gift too, liar. (laughs) I just left it at home. I'll bring it to you tomorrow. And then you go and buy one. That's not how God's love works. God loves us without condition. You know, if we could do something to earn God's love, if we could do something to be in relationship with God that depended on our effort and our continual work to maintain it, then guess what we could do according to Scripture? We could boast about it. We could say, but God, I'm a good person. God... I I help the poor. God, I give my tithes. I give my offering. God, I serve in the church. God, I help people. God, I try to do the best that I can. Lord knows I'm a good person. We approach it as if one day we're gonna be in heaven and God's gonna have these scales and He's saying you did more good than bad. So you know what? You you can come in. It's not if it was based upon what we do, ladies and gentlemen, then guess what? What do we need God for? What do we need God for? We could just keep on trying to be good people. It's not about that. The Bible says that we can't take credit for this, that it's a gift from God. It says that salvation is not a reward for the good works, the good things that we have done. So we can't boast about it. It's all about what God wants. And I want you to see something in verse 10 here. If we can put that back up, guys. It says that we're his masterpiece. Have you ever looked at yourself that way? I'm a masterpiece. You should look at yourself that way. That's God's opinion of you. That's what God says. But watch this. It says so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Let me just break that down simply like this. Whatever your plan is, just know this. God has a really good one for you. A really, really good one for you. More than you can ever imagine. More than we could ever conceive on our own. Because He's that good. Because He loves us. Because He's not approaching us with conditions. So, relationship with God is not our own idea, ladies and gentlemen. It's not something that comes out of us naturally, independent of God. Relationship, I want you to see according to Ephesians, is his idea. He's the initiator. You know, when somebody initiates a relationship founded in love towards you, that'll change you if you're willing to embrace it. I remember when I met my wife. um, I met my wife on a job interview. No, she wasn't the one interviewing me. That that was case but I met my wife many years ago and I was going on a job interview and my life was a mess at that time in, in that season of my life. I knew Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I just didn't know the truth about how much he loved me and I didn't understand that it wasn't based upon what I do. See I, I went to a very religious, legalistic it was, it was hard so I struggled with understanding that God loved me. I struggled with wanting a relationship with. So outside of I truly believed that Jesus loved me. I wanted nothing to do with the church. I wanted to do. I wanted nothing to do with people at that season in my life. And I had gone from one relationship to another relationship, and just a lot of different chaotic things happening in my life. So I was done with friends. I was done with women. I was done with hanging. I just didn't want to do anything. I just wanted to find a way and figure out a way to get my life some sense of meaning, some sense of direction. And so I walk into this place on East 15th Street in Manhattan. Walk into the main offices of this company and I walk through the door and I buzz at the door and they open up and there's this beautiful young lady there who happens to be the office manager sitting behind that window. Thing is, I was so hurt and my life was such a mess that I couldn't see her. I wasn't looking for that. I was too busy licking my wounds, trying to figure it out on my own. And it doesn't mean that I didn't say, Jesus, help me. I did. But I said, Jesus, help me. And then I tried to do it on my own. And so it led to nothing. No, no good results there. And so I, I, I walk into this interview, and, and I think about it now. Back then, I didn't realize that she was checking out the kids. She was, check, she was checking her brother out. She was feeling the kid. She really was. But I didn't know that then. But, um, I, you know, I go through this interview, whatever, and I end up getting the job, and it was a receptionist job. I was just getting started, you know, trying to figure out my life. And so I get a receptionist job with this company at another office in Manhattan, another one of their locations. And as a receptionist, one of the things that I realized in the beginning is that I didn't have the contact Uh, the the phone contact and email contact list for everyone in the company. So people would call and say, can I speak to such and such? And I will go, I'm sorry, that person's not at this location. Well, they work for your company. So I figured out I've got to call somebody and get this information. So I called the main office. And when she picked up the phone, it was my wife, um, who I didn't know was going to be my wife at the time, she goes, oh, hi, Jose. And I'm like, do I know you? And she's like, yeah, you were here for the interview. I'm the office. I was like, oh, hi, how are you? So what started happening was that over the next couple of weeks and months, these phone calls began to develop. Hey, how are you? And she would send me faxes. And I swear to this day, I didn't get them. Somebody was getting them. But she would send me faxes with smiley faces, have a great weekend, (laughs) all kinds of stuff. Um, But she was pursuing me. And, you know, when... I became privy to it. It wasn't anything bad, it wasn't, you know, we weren't doing anything wrong, but I realized that I had never experienced that kind of love from someone to that great extent. And as I got to know her and we got to know each other and we would talk and all that and then we would go out for lunch and just chat and hang out and we were just friends and I began to realize there's something different about this person. And it wasn't just that she was beautiful. It it wasn't just that I liked her or that I liked her characteristics. It was that I encountered a love that I wasn't familiar with. And it was the love of God. And let me tell you, that love took a broken man from under the barrel and lifted me up. And began to work on my heart. She would say, come to church with me. And I would go, nah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. And she would talk to me about the Lord. And I'm like, I I, I know Jesus loves me. I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know that God loved me. And then we got around to one day, she, she said, why don't you just come to church with me this weekend?" And I said, you know what, I'll go. And it rained that Sunday. And I said, "Ah, I'm not going. Like I was going to melt in the rain. And then the next weekend came and she said, you going to come? I said, I'll I'll go with you. And it rained again. I said, it's not meant for me to go to church. (laughs) And then the next week it came and it rained again. She said, come on, let's just go. And I went and listen, I couldn't tell you the message that the pastor preached that day. But I can tell you that this is the one thing that I understood that day clearly. God loves me. That love began to work in my life in such a way. Love will change you. I don't care what this city looks like. I don't care what this region looks like. I don't care what communities look like. I don't care what homes look like. You, you season that household, that community, that work environment, that place with love. And let me tell you, that'll break down barriers that we set up. That'll break down offenses. That'll heal homes. That'll heal hearts. That'll unite communities that are are, are at war. Nations. Listen, love has that power. Scripture says this, that love covers a multitude of sin. It says that love never fails. But that's God's love that it's talking about. That's the love that God wants us each to know. And so Listen, God really does love you and I. John three sixteen and 17 says this. For some of you, you've heard this. Maybe, yeah, I think the whole world has heard this one. There's bumper stickers on this. But I don't think most people truly consider what it's actually saying. It says, for this is how God loved the world. Watch this. This is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son. So that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Stop right there. This is how God loved the world. He gave. He gave his very best without conditions. Ladies, do you remember, for those of you that are married, when you got, en- when, when you got engaged, right? Oh my. Yes, yes. Right? You get all into it. Yes, everybody knows. Listen, I have... Two young adult children that are both engaged. And I was there for both their... No, actually, I wasn't there when Karina got engaged. We did an engagement party that afternoon for them. But the excitement, the elation, right? Now, I want you to picture this, ladies. He proposes. You're all excited. Yes, yes, oh, my God, yes, oh, praise God, yes, absolutely. And then he gives you a receipt. How would that work out? You could keep your ring, brother. Roll out. <laughs> Listen, here's why I share that with you. Because that's not how God approaches relationship and love with us. He doesn't give with receipts, He gave His best. And there's nothing that we can do to pay for it. All we can do is accept it. That's why the Bible says that it's a free gift. It's not the type of gift that we have to do something for in return. It's not. Verse 17 says this, God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Listen, God's agenda is not to judge anyone. And if you've ever been judged by somebody and told, you know what, God's going to deal with you. He's going to bring a, a punishment into your life. You better repent. You better turn around because God's going to inflict this upon you. Sickness and calamity, no, that is a lie from the pit of hell because Scripture says that God did not come. He did not send into the world, His Son into the world to judge anyone, but to save it. Now, there is a day of judgment. But listen, until that day, what do we have? God's love That's right. that he gave. Amen. Amen. He loves you that much. He loves you that much. That much. No strings attached. You might be wondering, well, what exactly did he save me from? What exactly? Was I drowning? Did I, did, was I out of oxygen? You know, Is there something going on that I missed? What did he save me from? Romans 5.12 says this, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world Adam's sin brought death, and so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Now, let me just clarify something here. Many times we assume that sin is the things that we do that are wrong. Now, hear closely. Sin, the sinful acts that we do, are a byproduct of an understanding that is associated with something more than actions. Let me prove that to you. Notice that the Bible says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. That tells us something, that there was a time where Adam wasn't in sin. And at that time, Adam was in a perfect relationship with God, resembling the exact image of God. He was without sin. Without sin. And then what he did was he believed a lie. Him and Eve believed a lie that was... Totally the opposite of what God said. Satan said to them, did God really say? He brought into question the truth of God. And they believed the lie, and then watch what the Bible says. We just read it. Sin entered the world, and death is a result. That's not just talking about physical death. That's talking about a decaying in our lives independent of God. But watch what the Bible says in Romans 5.15, says, But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. And so Adam became sin, a sinner. He became sinful. And then all of a sudden, he has a son named Caleb, another one, named um, Abel, and then he had Seth, and all these kids come after that. But here's the thing. They carried on that nature. And here's the thing. God saw that and he said, that's not what they were created to be. I have something better for them. And so Romans 5.15 tells us of this difference, of what came as a result of Adam and God's gracious gift. So watch this. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. Watch what came through Jesus Christ. A gift from God. And what is that gift? I'm not holding sin against you. Now here's the greatest lie that Satan ever told. One of the greatest lies that Satan ever told that sin is still an issue between God and men. Hear clearly what I'm saying. Hear clearly what I'm saying. If sin is still an issue for God, then what Jesus did on the cross is not good enough. And so now when we hear, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, what we need to understand is this that God dealt with the issue of sin. He dealt with it. That's why now, all that is available to all men is his love. It's forgiveness. Here's the issue. Do we accept it? The price is paid. But if you don't take the keys to that house, baby, you can't ever walk into it and enjoy it. You can't call it your own. You understand what I'm saying? That makes sense? And so what we see is that while we were all guilty, God loved all mankind so much that he sent his son, Jesus, who was not like us, to become like us and pay the penalty for a price of guilt that was ours so that we could be like him, not guilty, and have eternal relationship with God. Listen to me. I don't know about you. I might take a bullet. I might go down for one of my kids. I might even go down for someone that I care for. But there is no one here on this earth that will go down for everyone when they're not guilty. And God did that. That's a loving God. That's a merciful God. That's a good God. And so Get this picture. It's as simple as black and white. God loves you. God loves all people. You should leave here today and tell somebody, not only that God loves me, God loves you, but God loves you too. And this is the truth. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the gospel. Have you ever thought about why they crucified Jesus? Because he wasn't teaching what religious people were. Did you ever think about why all the disciples outside of John were martyred? It wasn't because they were preaching what religion said. They were preaching, listen, it's all based on Jesus. The price of sin has been paid. You can't control people. You can't keep lying to people. You have to tell them the truth. This is the good news of the gospel. And if you're here today, let me say something to you. There's a reason why you're hearing this. Because maybe your perception of a relationship with God has been based on something more complicated than what it needs to be. And so for the next couple of minutes, I want you to turn with me to the book of Luke chapter 15 as I close this out. Luke 15. And I'm going to take you to a story that for some of us might be a familiar one. For some of us maybe not. But it's a story that's relevant to all of us. It's a story that many people refer to as the story of the prodigal son. Jesus once shared a parable. A parable is simply this. A parable is a story, an analogy that's meant to reveal a spiritual truth. It's meant to break down simply something about God. About what he's trying to say to you and I. And so Jesus once shared a parable of two brothers who lived with their father. Listen, both of them had the ability to enjoy a complete relationship with their father. Both of them. But neither one of them did because of how complicated they saw the relationship in their perspective. It was complicated in their understanding. Let's turn in our Bibles real quick to Luke 15. And we're going to read verses 11 through 31. I'm going to just fly through this because we don't have much time but I pray that you'll just allow me these next couple of minutes just to hear the essence of the heart of God and the love of God says then he said a certain man had two sons and the younger of them said to his father father give me the portion of goods that falls to me so he divided to them his livelihood remember that point and not many days after the young son gathered all together and journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. That word prodigal there simply means excessive. It means over the top. It means like using it without restraint, abundantly, and to an extent, it could even be wasteful, depending on which context we're we're understanding it. And so he goes and he spends it all on prodigal living, verse 14. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, He said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so he arose and he came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him And had compassion. And he ran and fell on his neck and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. And am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatty calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. In other words, let's celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came, he drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked, What these things meant? And he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. And therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. And so he answered and he said to his father, Lo, these many years I've been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry, that I might celebrate with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, he who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. Both sons, if you'll consider the scriptures in this story that Jesus uses. By the way, the father that that he's illustrating there is God the Father. The sons that he's illustrating are two type of people. And both these sons had it all. They had it all. Their father was a man of resources. How do we know that? Number one, the Bible tells us in this story, Jesus uses the example of a father who had a livelihood to give his children. This father had servants who served in his household. This father had animals, beasts. In those days, listen, that was like gold. And both these sons, while being related to their father, did not value the relationship to the father. They didn't understand it. It was distorted in their perspective. And so the Bible says that the first son, the younger one, He goes to his father and says, hey, dad, I got a bright idea. I know that I'm supposed to wait till you die to get my inheritance. But you know what? You might as well be dead. Just give it to me now. Give it to me now. See, dad, what I got in this house, it's not as green as what I see out there. It's not as good as what I see out there apart from you. And the Bible says that this father doesn't just divide to him his livelihood. He gives both his sons what he was going to give them. He gives them everything. The Bible says that a couple of days later, the younger son leaves the house and he goes to a far country, a distant land. In other words, a place he's never been. He's around people he never known. And he's in relationship with people that he was never meant to be in relationship with. The Bible says that he lives excessively, prodigal living, what the Bible calls it. He spends it all, the Bible says, and then one day, a famine comes. Now there's not enough food, there's not enough water, there's not enough resources, and things are looking pretty bad. And he bumps into this guy, and this guy says, hey man, I got a job for you. I'm hooking you up, brother. I'm going to let you feed my pigs. Now, you got to understand something in context here. This is Jesus speaking to Jewish people. So you don't, please don't interpret that right now. Well, that, this doesn't apply to me. No, that's who he was talking to at the time. Yes. To this day, there's truth there for us. But he's speaking to Jewish people. Why, that's, why is that important? Because to, Jewish, to the Jewish culture, pigs are detestable. And so what is Jesus saying? This guy is in the worst circumstance he could be. It's that bad. And he finds himself amongst pigs, Jesus says. Feeding them. Taking care of pigs. Dinner with pigs. The only problem was he couldn't have anything, even what the pigs were eating. He asked, but it wasn't given to him. And so it's a bad situation. Listen. Anything outside of a relationship with God, I know it can feel good at times. I know it looks like, you know what, man, life is great. But let me tell you something. There's truth lacking there. There's true benefits and real life lacking there. You know, the Bible says this, that the thief, referring to Satan, comes to steal... And to kill and to destroy. You know what's interesting about a thief? A good thief doesn't come into your house and go, Ta-da! I'm here to rob you. That's right. Not a thief does. A thief comes quietly. You're not aware that what, what his intentions are. You have no idea the destruction he's looking to wreck in your life, the havoc he looks to bring. So Jesus, referring to Satan, says he comes to steal, to kill and to destroy. This guy's lost it all. Life is really bad, and he finds himself in a situation that he was never intended to be in. See, he allowed a thief to lie to him. Maybe you've thought, I don't need God. Can I suggest to you? You do. You do. You need a personal relationship with God. And so the Bible says that this young man gets a bright idea. He goes, Aha! In my father's house, the slaves, they have bread enough to eat. The servants are well taken care of. But watch how distorted his thinking was because he was independent of the love of the father. He believes, I'm no longer a son. If anything, I should only be a slave in my father's house. So the Bible says that he picks up and he leaves. He goes back to his father's house. And while he's still afar off, the Bible tells us that the father sees him. Now mind you, the Bible says that when the father receives him, he says, get him a robe, put a ring on his finger, put sandals on his feet. What does that tell us? This guy lost it all. Not only did he not have his belongings, but he smelled like pigs. And he probably looked like one of them because he was working in mud all the time. But here's what I love about this story. That while he's still afar off and nobody else recognizes him, one person from afar off sees him and says, that's my son. That's my child. Listen, it doesn't matter where you find yourself at right now in life. Does it matter what your hurts and your hangups are? Does it matter how bad you've been beaten up? I'm not saying that that hasn't had an impact. I'm not belittling that. But what I'm saying, in light of how God sees you, there is nothing that makes him go, ooh, stay away from me. The Bible says that this father runs towards his son. That's an important point because in Jewish times, especially in those times, men did not run. It was frowned upon. Men walked. But this father defies all rules. And he says, that's my son. That's my daughter. And the Bible says that he runs towards him. And that he falls on his neck. And he kisses his son. Marinoah. Stench and all. Scabs and all. He embraces his son. And he says, quick, get me me the best robe. Get me my ring. Get me some new shoes. And put them on my son. And he says, and as a matter of fact, go ahead and prepare the best meal possible. Because this son of mine is back home. And the son, watch this. The son hears this and he goes, "Uh, uh, 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 excuse me me sir he pulls out his little piece of paper with his speech that he's prepared and he says I'm not worthy to be your son I've sinned against heaven and in your sight just let me be a slave It says oh son you never lost your standing in my eyes I love you I love you Listen, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior today, here's the message that God has for you. I see you. I love you. Just trust me. Just come to me. So this party's going on. But remember, there's a second son. And this second son... Sees this party and he's not happy. And watch what happens. The father comes out and he says, Son, what are you doing? Come inside, your brother's home. He goes, No, man. That dude, your son, not my brother, your son. That dude right there, that ingrate, he took everything you gave us. Everything you gave him, and he wasted it excessively. And you bring him in and you you prepare this great feast. You've never done that for me, for my friends. I've been all this time working for you. And watch what the father responds. He says, son, all that I have is yours. You know what the problem was with the second son? Remember, in the beginning, the father gave them both his livelihood. He gave them everything. And somehow his son became convinced, I still have to do something to earn it. He's working to the bone, trying to be right in his father's eyes. And his father's saying to him, son, you're already right in my eyes. I've already given you everything. Both sons had a wrong perspective of the relationship that was available to them, to the father. I leave you with this one last point as we're closing out here. I know that in some of your Bibles, maybe you read it or maybe you're hearing this now and you hear, oh, today we heard about the story of the prodigal son. The excessive son. But you know who's the real prodigal in this story? The father. Remember this point. The Bible says he gave them all his livelihood. In other words, he gave them everything he had, which would lead us to believe he's broke. He's got nothing else else to give. And yet what we see is that he still has more to give unto his children. Ladies and gentlemen, no matter where you're at, God's account isn't bankrupt. There's more than enough love and provision and healing and comfort and compassion and strength and restoration and power for your life. God loves you, and all he says is this. It's in a relationship with me. Would you stand with us today?